Amen. How are you? Is everybody okay? Long weekend? And you still came to church? Are you impressed with yourself? <laughs> oh, alright. It was a little bit of a trick question. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that kind of thing. Um, my name is Ben, one of the pastors here. Thrilled that you're with us. Today we're starting a new series on the Psalms. The Psalms are a big grouping of poetic songs and writings in the middle of the Bible. So, if you're going to be with us today in Psalms, you have your copy of the Scriptures and want to turn there and follow with us, just let your Bible fall open and about halfway through are the Psalms. I said that in the first service and then realized, like, maybe one person had a paper Bible. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's helpful to anyone. Uh, it's probably more helpful to say it's spelled P-S-A-L-M-S. You can find it on your little table of contents and tap, uh, which is great. We, we're fine with that here. But Why? Why are we doing the Psalms? What's going on with Hope Church that we're going to spend time in the Psalms? We're not going to go all summer. We're not going to go all the way through the Psalms. We're actually just going to do a couple of weeks on the Psalms. But why? Why the Psalms? Here's why the Psalms. We have a heart issue at Hope Church. We have a heart issue that we need to fix. And I don't know of any place in Scripture that does a clearer or better job at ministering to, explaining, opening up, and then fixing hearts as the Psalms do. We've got an incredible load of work that we want to do at Hope Church. People around the world that we want to hear and know Jesus Christ. Hear about who he was and what he did. But then to actually know him. The power of his resurrection. The the salvation that's possible through him. To be able to actually talk to and pray to God and know him. And if you've ever been involved in helping somebody come to know more about God, then you have some idea of the work involved for one person. And then you start to multiply out. You start to think about the people in our state, much less our country, much less around the world who don't know this gospel. To be effective in reaching that many people, we need not only disciple makers, people at Hope Church who are effective in helping individuals come to know this gospel, we need whole other groups, meaning we need to start other churches. And when I contemplate leading people to do that, When I think about in my own life, carrying the weight that I feel on me to do what God has called me to do. We have a heart problem at Hope Church. Here's our our heart problem. You see it in Psalm chapter 1. It comes to our drinking in of the world's philosophy... And slowly turning the volume down or even rejecting the gospel philosophy, the gospel heartbeat that we are supposed to have in Christ. 
When I'm talking about the world today, I just want you to think a little bit about what things are like out there, what our culture is like. We could go to numbers and we could go to stats, but just look at the stories that our culture produces. The fiction, the songs, the movies. Yesterday, I was watching with my kids, we watched uh, Lego Movie Part 2. I don't know if anybody else has seen it, but it's supposed to be like high, fun kids movie. And when I was growing up, uh, this is a little bit tangential, but when I was growing up, my younger brother Andrew, he's two years younger than me, would ride to school with me. Now, if you've met Andrew, you may have thought he's the older brother because he is very mature. Uh, he's very like subdued and mature and sort of regal. Maybe that's going too far. But he, he, he's, he's, he's clearly much more fit to be an adult than I am. And when we were growing up, it was the same way. I was always this sort of happy-go-lucky, bouncy, happy, enthusiastic guy. And he was much more normal to, like, frowny, uh, maybe would be a word. And, and when we would wake up in the mornings, because he's younger, if he didn't want to ride the bus, he had to ride with me. And I rode in a Honda CRX. Not a CRV, which is an SUV, a CRX, which is a matchbox. It was minuscule, and when I would get out of the car uh, at school, my hair was always standing straight up because of the static electricity of my head rubbing on the ceiling as I was driving the curves down Long Hollow Pike. And I would just bump the music. When we were on the way to school, I would play, it's not good music, but it's loud, and I would play it loud as I could because I would wake up in the mornings happy and enthusiastic. The sun's shining, we're going to school, what else do you want? And Andrew would wake up uh, like normal to sad. Uh, because, yeah, he's going to school. What is he supposed to be feeling, you know? And poor Andrew had to listen to all this music and excitement and just try not to get too upset with me. Well, I found that my daughters have sort of adopted some of the same enthusiasm. When we drive to school in the mornings, I, I put them in the van and I take... Um, my oldest to school, and then one of our neighbor kids to school, and then our middle one goes to preschool. And we've had on a loop for months the soundtrack from that first Lego movie. The song is called Everything is Awesome. Have you heard that song? It, you just if you hear like maybe 10 or 15 seconds of it, and that's the whole song, because it just says that over and over and over again. It's just loud, pumping, exciting music that says everything is awesome. And for a first grader... Yeah, everything is pretty much awesome. And they wake up and get in the van and we sing that and we go to school together and I drop them off and they're happy and I'm happy and everything's awesome. Well, yesterday, part two, Lego Movie Part 2. We start watching it in the evening and I fall asleep for the first half hour, 45 minutes of it. And then wake up, but you can catch up pretty quick on the plot. It didn't take <laughs> much. Uh, and it's sort of like entering the second act and all this stuff's happening and they hit the low point and then they decide no matter what, we're still going to press on, you know, that moment in movies. And it's in song that they're singing. And this is not them singing in sadness. This is them singing in victory. This is what they sing in the Lego movie part two. Everything's not awesome. Things can't be awesome all of the time. It's an unrealistic expectation. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to make everything awesome in a less idealistic sort of way. Maybe aim for not bad. <laughs> because not bad right now would be real great. Can I tell you how sad that made me? <laughs> to tell my first grader, with all of the creativity and 
cleverness and bright, sparkly colors of this movie. The best her culture has to offer her. Maybe aim for not bad, little girl, because not bad right now would be real great. Everything's not awesome. It never will be. But if you just aim for not bad, then some days won't be bad as you might have thought they would be, and you can feel okay about that. That's the top shelf hope that our culture gives to our children. And I would imagine that a lot of people in our culture would applaud Lego Movie Part 2 for being a little bit more realistic. Now, is that how you feel? Is that what the church is supposed to feel? Did Christ die so that maybe you could say that some days are not that bad? I know some days are going to be bad. I'm not saying that you bounce around in the clouds like me as an optimistic 18-year-old. But I am saying, doesn't that seem like a gap? As we jump into Psalm 1, I want you to listen for these words. And think, think, think. Christianity doesn't put its brain on the side. You have to turn it up to 11. Think. And I want you to think about who we're supposed to to be who we are and then maybe what that problem could be. Psalm chapter 1 says it this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight that's the word his delight is in the law of the Lord His delights in the law, law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. How does that psalm land for you? This is the introduction to the whole of the book of the psalms, which is supposed to be this place in which the fullness of human experience is expressed. And you're walking into the gate of that treasure trove. And on the the gate is written this psalm. How does it hit you? Does it make any sense whatsoever? When I first encountered this psalm, all I could hear from it was, do good things, don't do bad things. If you do good things, then you'll be like a tree. If you do bad things, you'll be like chaff. And you have to Google that. But just there's two ways, the good way and the bad way. And God help you if you're on the bad way because that's judgment. Is that what you hear when you read this psalm? If so, that's part of this heart problem I'm talking about. What it does say is that there are two ways. There is a way of delight and then there is a way of irrelevance. 
And I want you to ask yourself, don't say it out loud because I don't want you to discourage me, but I want you to ask yourself, which of those two words would you put on the church? Delight or irrelevance? (laughs) Ask that question. Let's talk about the way of irrelevance. It starts in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Beautiful, beautiful. You've got to let yourself imagine as you're reading this stuff. He's saying that you're walking and all of a sudden the counsel of the wicked is getting in your ears and it slows you down. Such that you begin to stand in their way. Obeying, listening, thinking, starting to act in that way until eventually you sit in their seat. And we're going this way, and all of a sudden this counsel comes, and then the actions come, and then the identity comes. Do you see that? This is what I'm talking about happening to us. The counsel of the world starts to seep into us. And the Bible is very clear that our hearts, whether you're inside the church or outside the church, our hearts are longing for that counsel. It says we have itching ears that are waiting on this counsel to scratch them. Remember the garden. Did the enemy come in with with loud horns and banners to lead the people of the garden in rebellion against God? Or did he whisper? Did he begin with counsel? Did God really say? Our culture is speaking and preaching all the time. Our hearts are speaking and preaching all the time. What are they saying? When it says of the wicked, I don't want you to hear that they're saying only awful things all the time and they're trying to get you to kill children. I am, though, saying that they're not leading you to him. And if that's the case, what better word could there be? But do you see the progression? At first you just... But then that listening begins to inform your actions. The lies, the information that you have starts to impact the way that you act. And those actions, they inform your identity. Eventually those actions harden into patterns. Scripture might call them strongholds of the enemy. That lead to patterns that lead to your identity. This is who I am now. Is that the seat of the scoffers? Well, that's where I'm going to sit. It says wicked, and then it says sinners, and then it finishes with scoffers. Why that word? What does that mean? Words have meaning. Why does that word fit there? Because there's a point at which you turn off the arguments. There's a point at which you turn off the conversation. You fold your arms. You just scoff. You just laugh. That anyone would insist that you're not the master of yourself. That anyone would insist that the idols that you've become addicted to are not your best life. But instead are leading you to death. And instead of engaging with an argument, you just scoff. 
You become impervious, hard-hearted. And the scripture says you become like chaff. Chaff that the wind drives away. What does that mean? See, in ancient times, just like now, I mean, wheat's still wheat. And it still grows inside stuff that needs to get out of the way for you to get the wheat. And what they'd do in ancient times is they'd separate them by having an ox walk over them with a sledge or whatever. And then once all of the little kernels are broken up, they would get in there and they'd take a hay fork or whatever. Uh, you can tell I've done this before. And they'd get in there and they'd go whoosh and throw it up in the air. And it would all come down on them. But the wheat was heavier than the chaff, the thing that was around the wheat. And so if it was a windy day, they could, whoosh, woo, and the chaff would blow over here, and the, the wheat would fall down here. A very effective way to quickly sort very tiny things. And the chaff would blow away because the chaff was light. It was insubstantial. It was susceptible to things like wind. It was useless. It was in the way. It was fit for nothing but to be burned. This is saying that this way of irrelevance will have an impact on who you are, that your, your actions, your beliefs become your identity. But there is another way. Now, here's the big scary thing that a lot of people do. A lot of people take that way, this wickedness, this, this understanding that I'm going to do things the world's way and become like chaff. A lot of people take that and they say, oh good, he's talking about gambling and I don't gamble. Oh, fantastic, he's talking about pornography, but I don't look at pornography. Or at least I haven't in a little while. Oh good, he's talking about overeating or beating people up or whatever. You'll name some sin that you don't do and say he's talking about that. Good thing he's not talking about me. Good thing I'm one of the good ones. Right? We all say that. But when I say that Hope Church has a problem, not the world, the world does too, but when I say that Hope Church has a problem, I'm talking about the churchy people. Talking about the people that wouldn't get seen gambling. <laughs> Maybe they still do it, but not when I'm around, you know. <laughs> I'm talking about the churchy people, the churchy people who are doing what the world wants them to do, even as they attend church and memorize scripture. Why? Because they're doing it for the idol of self. They're doing it in order to lift themselves up before others. Say that they're better than the others. We'll get to it more in just a second because it's the opposite of this way of delight. Whether you're inside the church or outside the church, you have to have this way of delight. Because there's these two options. The, the scripture says, blessed is the man who doesn't, these things we've just talked about, but then implicit in that is this idea, blessed in the man is the man who does, verse 2, delight in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. Now, this word law, I do want you to take about, think about it for a second. Because when I said law, and many of us get confused, is we start to hear this and say, it's talking about doing good things. And his delight is in doing good things. 
so that God is impressed with him. And yet, who did that better than the Pharisees? If you've ever read through the New Testament, there was a group of people who were very committed and very obedient. And yet, when they met God as Jesus, they crucified him. They may have been obedient on the outside, but on the inside with dead men's bones. That's what Jesus says. And yet, when this says delight in the law of the Lord, is that what it's talking about? You delight in the rules? You delight in knowing how much better you are than other people? No, no, no. I think that's a misunderstanding of the concept of law in the Bible. See, the word law there is going to interpret, it's going to mean those first five books of Scripture and a little bit more. A lot of times they talk about the law and the histories or the law and the writings, the law and the prophets. They would use these words as a way to talk about whole groups of the Old Testament books. And when he says the law, he's talking about the first several books of the Bible, including Genesis, not just Deuteronomy and Numbers. He's talking about who the Lord is as we know him. And it's talking about the ways of the Lord. It's talking about his words, his self-revelation as the great I am. His self-revelation is the one who's going to take for himself a people out of slavery. He's talking about his ways, his perfect ways, his ways that allow for a sacrifice to be made for sin. His ways that allow for him to dwell, his presence to dwell amongst a people who are obsessed with idols to the point that even after they have just walked through the Red Sea, and all this is in the Bible, I'm sorry if I'm going too quick, but even as they walk through the Red Sea, immediately, before they even get the Ten Commandments, they build themselves an idol and have an orgy around it. And yet, these are God's ways that he would be merciful even to that group of people. And this law that this man meditates on day and night affects him. Some people are walking into Hope Church looking for me to prove Christianity. They just want to get into the facts. They want to get into whether or not it's reasonable to believe such a thing. I praise God that you're here. Part of the reason we started this church is so that you would have a place to come and think about that stuff. And not get harassed, but just be able to lovingly exchange ideas over it. We have a position. I'm not going to pretend like we're just here to talk because talking is the idea. No, we have a position. But we're trying to create a space where you can come and belong before you believe like Dave was talking about. Prove Christianity. But then there's also this huge group of people that are just here to improve their Christianity. They're on a diet. They feel like they've got some spiritual excess... They were looking in the mirror the other day and they had spiritually gotten a little wider than they wanted to be. And so they came to Hope Church. And they're looking for somebody to give them a couple of steps. Have you heard of keto? Well, today we're going to talk about spiritual keto. Here are the things you don't eat and here are the things you do eat. And it seems crazy, but it'll work for a little while. Oh, that didn't work for you? Okay, come back next week. We're going to talk about how there's intermittent fasting that you're supposed to do spiritually. Spiritually, you you only eat from 12 to 5. And if you only do that, then you'll be good. You'll lose that extra 5 pounds and you'll be back to healthy spiritually. This is an analogy. I hope you see this. (laughs) This is a metaphor. I'm not crapping on these diets. I'm just saying the metaphor is that you have a spiritual excess 
and you feel like it's just a shade over what it should be, and I'm going to come to Hope Church, and they're going to help me, and we're going to just carve off some of those love handles. Really? And yet, when you come to improve your Christianity here, you come to hear the law, to maybe gain a little bit, one way or another, of, of some new tips, and then you try to take them home. And here's two things that happen. The first thing that happens is you fail miserably. And you're so depressed by failing that you just binge. And you go after all that stuff you promised you were never going to do again. Because you failed and you feel like a failure and you hate yourself and you figure, why not? That's one thing that happens. The other thing that happens is you succeed. Through just dogged self-determination and will, you succeed. And that's almost, if not worse. Because then you think you're good. And you commit yourself to a plan that is going to kill you. Suck the life out of the marrow of your bones. It's going to mummify you. No life in that, but you continue to plod along. And your soul dries up inside you. And you still become chaff, even if you're impressive. Some of the worst things that can happen to you is for you to just seem obedient. It's like going to Vegas. What's the worst thing that can happen in Vegas? You win. You know why? Because if you win, they've got you. They'll get back your winnings, and they'll get back everything else you've got. Some people come to Christianity, and they feel like they've won. Because they're impressive. And so they just keep playing that game. But that's what the enemy wants you to do. You have not chosen to delight. Christianity does not say that you have a couple of pounds you need to lose. Christianity says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. No diet helps with dead. You're dead. You know how you get past dead? Resurrection. Miracle. New heart. It's not a heart of stone that's been hardened by the logic of this world. It's a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart of love. A heart that delights. You don't come to Hope Church to diet. You come to Hope Church to feast. You don't go to the Father in your, in your time in the morning with the Scriptures in order to diet. You go in order to feast. To indulge. Because your heart now delights in His presence. In His goodness. His mercy. His grace. You love Him. Is that you? Or do we have a heart problem at Hope Church? Now, how, how, how do you delight? If we do start to delight, he's going to make us like a tree. We start to imbibe what our life needs. We become this thing that it grows because it's got what it needs. Verse 3, we're planted by streams of water. We have what we need now. And we can start to grow. This tree that having these streams of water starts to yield fruit. And his leaf doesn't wither. In all that he does, he prospers. I need you to bear fruit. We got way too much to do for you to just dry up on the vine. I need you to bear fruit. The only way you're going to do that, though, is if you delight. 
You don't come to Christianity to just improve yourself. You come to Christianity to find a person. Jesus. To love and be loved by a person. Jesus. And to delight in the words and the ways of this person that you love. Jesus. Do you understand? Okay, well, that's what this whole series is going to be about. We've got a lot to do, and I want to dig into what and how we're going to start trying to change the world. August is great for that kind of thing. We're going to take July and August and our serve week and our Colorado City trip, and we're going to talk about how we're going to change the world. But to do it, you have to do it out of delight. Otherwise, it's going to kill you. And we have Christians that show up at Hope Church. Happen somewhat regularly. And they're great. They believe what we believe and they're all in. They want to join like week two. And again, from our perspective, it's like, whoa, fantastic. Found money. Here's somebody. We didn't have to mature them or grow them or anything. They're just going to show up and know all the Bible and help us out. Perfect. Miraculous. And then in conversation two, they say, but I don't want to serve. Oh, well, I'm glad you're here to fill a seat, but what do you mean? And not too long after that, they'll tell you about what happened at their old church. About how they were on the lead of this committee, and they were running this, option, this ministry, and they were serving this way week after week. And you say, oh, okay, so you just need to rest for a while. I say, yeah. Do you understand that what happened, though? Is that instead of operating out of a delight principle... We begin to operate out of a diet principle. And it just sucks the life out of us. I don't want to pretend like that's everybody and your church was doing that. What I am saying though is it does happen and I'm concerned that it's going to happen here. That right now some of you are serving not out of your delight in the Lord but just out of your desire to make yourself a little bit better. Lose a little bit of that spiritual weight. And if that's what you're doing It's going to kill you. You're just going to chaff. You'll become useless. You'll start getting blown around by the wind. Until eventually, away you go. No fruit. Just dead. Unless the consequences of this seem small, verse 5 and 6, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Sinners in the congregation of the righteous... For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you delight? The only way you're going to delight is if you come to know the person of Jesus. Not to love a code. To love a person. And then you can start to love his ways. But you must love a person. A person who came and loved you. Who knew you enough to know that the only thing that could save you was dying for you on the cross. And then he loved you enough to do it. To know this person, to believe and to trust in the salvation offered by this person. That is to begin to delight. And as you follow that road, as you get planted next to that stream. Oh my gosh. The world will not be able to stand against the light that you will shine. So, come back.
Keep coming to the psalm series. Let's dig in together and let's start adjusting our hearts so that we can be ready to sell all to build his kingdom. Lord God and Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would give us just another understanding, a deeper vision. Bring us back in our hearts. Bring us back to the cross. Let us there remember what you have done for us and the love that you have for us. Make us delighted and delightful. Make us fruit-bearing because we are being sustained by you. Father, for those that are here today and thinking, all this is just inside baseball, I'm just trying to figure out if Christianity is true or not. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that what we're talking about is why they thought religion was such a bunk, stupid, sort of con artist game to begin with. Because a lot of times it is. It's just what the enemy's doing to suck the life out of us. But if we will come to know you, Father, we will find life and life everlasting. Pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen.